the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Come to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook Network. Thanks for hanging out. Come on and smash that subscribe and high five that like. And come and join us in the chat because that's where we're hanging out. It is a Thursday. We got a lot to get to. We are going to be taking your live audience questions. And I wanted to address those of you who might not be able to always watch live. Maybe you've got something on the calendar for 11 a.m. Eastern time. Well, one thing that you can do is the 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 show is always live before we get started. You could jump in 15, 30 minutes early. Go ahead and drop a question. Honestly, a better chance we see it then than in the middle of the show when things are firing. We do our best. Producer Jordan does a good chance. But we want to make these shows interactive. We want to make you a part of it. So even if you can't join us live... Come jump in at youtube.com slash cover three, drop your question, and then come back and watch it later. Uh, good chance that we'll be able to get to it. Already had a couple of those in the chat already. We appreciate you, Brandon. We appreciate you, Robert, uh, and much more. Uh, big news, uh, not necessarily this week, but in the coming weeks as we look at the uh, changes to college football. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Plus, in addition to live audience questions, we're going to dive into the big old bag of mail Taking a look at some potential under-the-radar position battles to keep your eye on in the offseason. And then also uh, a lot of uh, a fan favorite that we always like to cycle back to, uh, the return of the NCAA football game. But, Tom, Bub, want to at least uh, go ahead and get us started with those rule changes that are potentially on the horizon because the NCAA uh, Football Rules Committee has their annual meeting, and there are four proposals uh, that they're going to be considering. So for those who've not been able to get a chance to take a look at it, they are, uh, one, no longer allowing consecutive timeouts to ice a kicker. Uh, number two, the idea that there would be an untimed down at the end of the quarter if there is a defensive penalty, that's going to be getting out of the game. Number three, having a cl the clock continue to run after a first down, this is going to be the big one and probably what we're going to end up spending a lot of time discussing in terms of its potential impact, the, the clock being allowed to run after first downs, except 
in the final two minutes of each half. And then the final one, uh, this one's kind of wild, having the clock continue to run after the, an incomplete pass once the official has spotted the ball. So clearly we are looking you know, for a lot of different reasons at either how long a game is or how many plays there are in a game. Uh, and so I, I think that that's as good a place to start as any before we look at the potential impact of these rule change proposals. So, um, Tom, Bud, what's what stands out about when you're trying to get in the head, in the mindset of the, the motivating factors uh, for this right now? I, I think we need to go back to an episode that we did last summer, right? And we had Dennis Dodd on, and Dennis had done some really interesting reporting on some of the data uh, that the NCAA uh, future committee or, or wh wh whatever the committee was that they had assembled to figure out the future of the sport. Uh, Transformation committee, maybe it was, and, and Dennis... Uh, let, let's just roll the clips from, from this summer and, and here, like, let's, let's remember what Dennis had told us about this. I think this is really where it's coming from. And they're significant. And I thought it was interesting the way you laid it out, because I think this is a critical decision-making process and how it could impact a lot more than just player safety. I mean, it, it could impact the length of games, uh, just all, so much that goes into us. The story is great, well-researched. What were some of your bigger takeaways that you learned from there, and what direction do you think we're headed? Well, a couple of things. The, the people in charge, the stakeholders, the rules committee, the commissioners now, have taken this semantic approach to shortening games or protecting players or both. They're calling it exposures now for whatever reason. It used to be snaps, plays. Oh, it's a COVID like, thing. Yeah, you yeah. use exposure. I mean, it's, it's everyone's buzzword now. <laughs> so an exposure to me signifies, you know, you're exposing your body to some sort of harm every time, you know, you have a football play. Duh, we know that. But that's what they're calling it. And so by framing it that way, they're making it uh, a health and safety issue. Now, what what is less important now these days is length of games um, multiple people that I talked to for this story, and I think a couple of them, they're quoted, are saying, I I'm less worried about the length of game than what happens within the game. That used to be a, you know, that used to be a thing. But I think what's, what's come back, and I think, Danny, you agree with this, is that the people, the fans don't necessarily care. They care about the commercials, watching on TV, the, the delay in games between the quarters and they give some bank president a check for $30,000 or something. I think that can be fixed. Um, but what, what fans love is getting there early, tailgating, staying late, enjoying the day. And that's just become less important. And so the stakeholders now are worried about what happens between the lines. Um, if it shortens a game, it shortens a game. But, that, but that's not the number one priority. They're probably going to make some kind of rule changes, as you noted. It seems like there's an urgency that they're showing now. And I don't want to just come out and say they never cared about player safety before, but in many cases, they just kind of paid lip service to it. And by they, I mean you know, the NCAA Rules Committee and whatnot. What, wh why now? What, why do they all of a sudden care about player safety so much? It's, you know, it's a liability thing. I They won't admit it and the commissioners I talk, well, that's not really part of it. It's a big part of it. Um, I call it the leaky roof theory. You buy a house and let's say it has a leaky roof. You tell the owners that before I buy this house, you got to fix the roof. So I think before 
college football goes forward, particularly college the college football playoff in whatever form it goes forward in has to fix the leaky roof. Not many people know this. Still, there are dozens of head trauma lawsuits going on all over the country targeting schools, the NCAA, um, millions and millions of dollars. It's a reason that I wrote a story last fall about how the rules committee is not going backwards on targeting. We hear all this criticism about targeting. What's not going to happen is to make the penalty lighter. Um, and they're, they're, I think the people in charge are particularly against this flagrant one, flagrant two, because it is going to delay the game more. But they're not going backwards on enforcement of it because they're worried about liability. What these trial lawyers have become savvy at, all the research is out there. They now can trace uh, you know, what they call NCA negligence on head trauma and student athlete welfare back to the 50s, according to them. If you go backwards on targeting, if you don't address this right now, um, then you're going to end up in court for years and years and years. So as college football moves on, as college football transitions to oversight, I think, by the college football playoff, I think they've got to get this piece of it fixed, whatever fixed means. You know, what, we don't even know if this is going to work. It looks like it might work. Um, but I know I, I've talked about it with Danny um, that, boy, the first down thing is going to be huge. Mm-hmm. It's what differentiates college football from the pros. And the pros fit nicely into that three-hour window every Sunday and throughout the week. Does college football want to be that? And in, and in 2006, when they tried to do something similar, it was an absolute disaster. Scoring went down. And I'm talking about, you guys remember this, when they started the clock inexplicably when Tome met Leather. That and they shortened halftimes, which was fine. I think over time they forgot about the halftime thing. We know that. We go to games. It's as long as it is. But that, that one thing uh, made games shorter. They dropped down to 64 plays per game. That's an NFL pace. It was the lowest scoring game, lowest scoring season still since 1991, and they completely changed it the next year. This is a very delicate, um, these are very delicate rule changes that have to be well thought out. That was Dennis Dodd on top of it. Again, March last year, uh, forecasting exactly uh, what we are dealing with right here in late February of 2023. Um, the, the litigation and the liability is certainly a part of this, but as we sit on the precipice of college football playoff expansion and hearing some of the comments that we've had um, from Greg Sankey and other power brokers is the acknowledgement that if you're going to extend the season, if you're going to add games, then it's almost like funny accounting. Like we are trying, I mean, I, this is my read. I'm editorializing here. I think that we are trying to take plays out of the game in order to justify adding games on the end of it. Because Dennis Dodd has a story up on CBSSports.com where he is, says that experts have uh, indicated that, you know, just the, the first down rule, the, the clock runs on first downs. You know, since 1968, the NFL and college have been different in terms of how the clock operates on first downs. If they move to more of an NFL model, obviously with the clock stopping on first downs under two minutes, that would be seven plays per game. Seven plays per game is, is okay. But if they do the other rule change that is being proposed here, which would be as soon as the official spots the ball, even after an incomplete pass, the clock can moves forward, 
that could be as many as 18 to 20 plays per game uh, impacted here. Clearly, one is less dramatic than the other. But when we're talking about the motivations, I I think that the the liability and, and sort of litigation part of this can exist. But as we're looking at what college football future is going to be, I read this as they're doing anything they can. Yes, for maybe the TV side, but also to justify what is going to be a 17-game schedule potentially for some teams. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just... We care about player safety when we can't make millions and millions and millions of dollars off of it. And that's really what it boils down to, because another way to shorten games would be to remove commercial breaks. But God knows we are never going to remove commercial breaks from broadcasts. And like you could do the thing where it's we want to shorten the games because we're asking them to play more games. <clears throat> What's going to have a higher chance of injury? The fifth hit of the season that you take in the third game? Or, you know, the 18th hit you take in the, you know, you I'm saying like hits in the third game and hits in the 16th game. The 16th game is going to have more of an impact whether you played a couple fewer plays overall in the course of the season anyway. It's not for player safety. It's not going to change anything. Having to play these games week in and week out and continue practicing and training and being ready to play in the games is going to lead to more injuries overall. And you see it every year now when we get to the playoff. How many of these teams are full strength? Without seeing, you know, data on it, I think what Tom says intuitively makes sense. I, at the very least, this is the power brokers in the sport trying to demonstrate that they understand that there is a safety issue and that they are, you know, taking steps to proactively uh, make the game, you know, safer, quote unquote. I mean, this is something. Hey, like, did you guys know about this? Did you do anything about it? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Um, so that that's kind of I think the main motivation for this. I I mean I there's a lot of implications if all of these rules are passed. I mean I do we want to jump right to that? Can we can we have like an honest conversation? Because I think the incomplete pass thing is out the window. Agreed. I'm not big, I don't yes, yeah. like I, I, it's, what's it is it over it's three dumbass rules in one rule they plan to right. <laughs> it's a plant. Although, Yes. Yeah, yeah, but I will say, like, the back-to-back timeouts freezing the kicker, fine, get rid of it. Who cares? That That is annoying. I hate when coaches do that. It doesn't – I don't know. Is there any data that actually proves it's effective? I don't know. No, it actually – it's proven it's not it, – it does not impact it. Yeah, so I feel like the one rule they want to get rid of is the stopping after first downs until the final two minutes. That's the only rule they're trying to push through. I feel like the other ones are just there to kind of be like, okay, well, no, we can't have this. Well, okay, how about we compromise and just have this? Yeah, it's what I do with yes. my children. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you like a bad option. I you I know you don't want, but you know it's what you want to have four options. So look, here's a couple that I know you're not going to pick, so we can get you uh, to go with what's what's going to be uh, getting us to bedtime. Exactly. Last night I was like, hey, it's bath time. You want to do this the fun way or the not fun way? <laughs> and he's like, the not fun way. I'm like, all right, take your shirt off right now. Get in the bath. <laughs> you know, and like I mean, it's just yeah. It, all right, so. Do we, we want to talk about what a disaster it would be to implement all four of these at the same time real quickly? I, I mean, quickly, because I, I truly yeah. would be surprised if we get all four of them in at once. And I, mean, I think it, we have already, didn't we say on the air, this is already terrible for Brian Ferentz? Because if, yes. all, the, if all of the uh, rules get passed, then I was only going to have 27 plays per game on offense. And I don't know if they're going to be getting a point uh, point per play 
uh, with that offense. I think if you actually had all these rules, if all of them passed and were implemented together, I think you would have a reduction in college football scoring of, of 30%. Right? I mean, it would be significant. You would have a lot of games that are played at that like 21-17 final score uh, because it just you would. Like you have fewer plays, fewer opportunities to, to score. Uh, you would also have far fewer comebacks. And you would have more upsets at the same time. So with the clock running as fast as it's going to run, and it obviously like one second, still one second, but as not as fast as it's going to run, as often as it would run with these proposals, the number of comebacks would be limited because you just can't pull these comebacks off if you're not getting the clock to stop for incomplete passes. And you would also have a lot more upsets because when you have the better team start slowly, it's going to have a harder time coming back as well and look at basically any small sample thing. This is creating a bigger sample sport and making it into a smaller sample sport within a single game setting because you're going to go from, you know, probably 65, 68 plays to like 45 if they're if they're all together. Also, isn't there a real chance that if you did implement these rules, it would just lead to more up-tempo offenses, which would then lead to more of what Dennis called the exposures when we were playing those clips because it's going to, you know, there are teams that it's just going to be the more plays that are run, the better our odds of winning the game. And, and that it, will just become a strategy again. And it, the the mental side of the clock running and these 330-pound linemen having to hustle back mm-hmm. into position and trying to get going, go, 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 go. I I, I agree with you. This is it, it would create a chaotic scene, which who knows? Like Maybe that's a good television product, but it is not at all, in my eyes, conducive to player safety. I, I have a competitive reason why I hate the – um, clock stops on incomplete pass because if you are trying to nurse a lead, there is strategy involved with your play calling that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy the the coaching aspects, trying to figure out what are going to be the plays. You, you, we always say your four-minute offense, your two-minute offense, that your selection of how you handle your play calling would change if there was no longer that penalty of the incomplete pass but it could make it better for air raid teams to protect leads. Well, right. So here's the thing. Your chance of converting via running is not that all that great. Running mm-hmm. is not as efficient as passing is. If all of a sudden incomplete passes also stop the clock, you're going to see teams basically... Also keep the clock running. Excuse me. Yes. Let me restate this. If all of a sudden incomplete passes keep the clock running, teams with the lead are going to have tremendously more success not just because they can bleed the clock, but because there's no real downside to throwing the football, which is more mm-hmm. efficient than running the football. So they're going to convert at a much higher rate. We are so often, as Chip noted, forced to see the decision between do we run it, run the clock, or do we pass it, which is at a higher chance of conversion, but also the downside risk of potentially stopping the clock. If you remove that downside risk, like I said earlier, upsets are going to be dr- reduced by a lot, guys, or especially, excuse me, comebacks are going to be reduced by a lot. Upsets will probably go up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And also, what's the rule at now, too? Because with first downs, the clock only stops until the ball is placed on some of them. But then it's what? what is the last few minutes where they just they stop it all together until the snap? Mm-hmm. Is that last like four minutes. minutes now? No, I'm saying the proposal is two minutes. What is it now? Is it the last four minutes? I can't remember. Where it continues to run? Yeah, because the clock does run after first downs for a lot of the. Half. Once the once it's stopped, once it is spotted, which is what they're suggesting for the incomplete pass. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, 
which is again, all right. So if we are to remove the incomplete pass and look at, as we mentioned, the one rule that they're really trying to get through here. And if you've got a, you know, I mean, ice in the kicker, I'm cool. That's, that's a waste of our time. Let's, let's get that out of here. That seems like common sense to me. And the untimed down, I reached into my cluttered brain and I was trying to remember there've been some games that have maybe not the result, but the spread, the result at the pay window has swung on some untimed downs that I remember always gets a gets a good look and gets everybody riled up on a Saturday. But for the most part, I'm okay, that's fine. What changes about college football? If any, I mean, outside of the number of plays being reduced, if we move to more of an NFL model of uh, of the clock. I don't know. Um, it's just the games will get shorter, which is the goal. Because another thing, too, we talk about it with the television windows. What's the most attractive thing about the Pac-12 right now? It's the late window. Networks are trying to fill from noon until 2 a.m. every Saturday with football because it gets ratings. It does well. But they also want to make sure they could fit all those games into those windows. So that's what we see with the NFL, the way the NFL staggers its start times with noon, and then it has like 320, or I'm sorry, I'm central, one, and then 425 start times, and then like the 725, 730 primetime game, because they've got it down to such a science with the way they do their commercial breaks and with the rules, they know that a game, unless it goes to overtime, is probably going to fit in these roles. So I think that is one way you'd see it, where it'd become more predictable. But while some games go forever, I don't, I don't really have a problem with games lasting a long time when they're entertaining. It's the boring games that take forever that are annoying. So as far as that's concerned, that would maybe be possible. It's probably more like the NFL. As far as gameplay, if there are fewer plays in a game strategically, will that lead to more chances or fewer chances? Will that lead to more extravagant offenses or more vanilla offenses? I don't know. It's hard to really know which direction things would go in that way. I I think it would... I think you're like running the triple option becomes less attractive, right? Yeah. In terms of holding the football and you know trying to play keep away because now everybody can play keep away if you had the the passing complete thing. Um, if it's just the, the clock stops, yeah, let's after- throw out the passing okay. complete. Let's let's try to operate with the idea that they are able to get this rule change through. It is approved, and we move to a more NFL similar model with the way the clock runs after first down. Are we going to have a two minute warning? No, but the clock does so stop. Throw another, so they can throw another break in there. So they can throw another commercial break in there for us. See, for me, it's a coaching thing. Like this becomes a clock management situation because we could see as many comebacks. We see crazy comebacks in the NFL. We could see maybe as many upsets, though. I understand the math argument that variability is one thing, a high variance, excuse me, variance with the increase of plays is going to allow for an upset to occur. So no, there is that pesky math that gets in the way of that. But I think that in terms of comebacks and upsets and competition, I I don't see much of a change from the college football that exists today. However, an immense amount of responsibility on the coaching staff with the preparation process and what happens on a game day that you don't blow those timeouts in the third quarter. That like the yeah. way that you manage this thing all the way through is going to be much more important since you no longer have that, um, you know, th- that friendly extra clock stoppage that is just getting a first down. 
it, it really specifically changes the math for your game management between minutes 12 and two in the fourth quarter, right? When you are deciding, do I punt this ball? Do I go for it? How do I handle this third down that I may need to try to go for or may need to try to dump it down and set up a manageable fourth down? Your kick, punt, go situations and determinations are going to be changed by this because you have to figure out, can I play two for one here? I need to rerun my math to figure out how many stops I can get. How many first downs can I actually allow, right? I need to take an additional you know, 10 seconds off per each first down allowed because the clock is going to continue to run as opposed to stop to allow the chains to reset in that sort of final window. Now, once you get past two minutes, there's really no difference because the, the clock stops on, on the first down for reset just like it does in the normal game. But I, I think you know, the, the early part of the fourth quarter, this is where I think it hurts comebacks because n- not one-score comebacks, but multi-score comebacks, some of the crazy comebacks that we see in college football, those just become a little bit less likely. But I agree with Chip and with Tom – it's not a huge deal. I mean, if we're, if we're lopping off seven plays, that's seven plays total, not seven plays per team. Mm-hmm. That's like a, you know, somewhere between like an eight, eight to 12% reduction in plays, in scoring, et cetera. That's really not that big of a deal. Yeah, it's maybe a possession. Yeah. Um, you know, though, seven plays add up a little bit in that in the transfer portal era, you want to try to get your backups some reps to keep them happy. Sometimes you want to, you know, not get them reps so they don't get to showcase their their wares and, and hit the portal elsewhere, right? If they have no game tape, whatever, but they still have access to their practice tape. So usually they can just show that if they're actually a good player. Do you have to strategize differently now to try to like how do you do load management? Are your starters more important compared to your depth in in a scenario in which you don't have to play 70 plays a game, you're playing more like 60? Those are, are considerations. College rosters are much bigger than NFL rosters. So do you think going off of that and spinning it forward, like do you think that there's a chance that with now the expanded playoff, which means and we're going to see conferences like the SEC probably moving to nine conference games once they expand to 16, you've got to play more games. Do you think this is going to lead to, and especially now that there's more at-large berths for playoff spots, we're going to see a lot more FCS games than we have in recent years. Or do you think like the television networks will push back against having those games played and because they don't, it doesn't make for great ratings. I, I don't know about a lot more, but I think that the chance that we go to zero FCS games or, or eliminate that is, uh, is probably likely that, that we, you know, that we don't end up playing fewer than we already do because I mean, look like Kentucky or Mississippi state is, definitely going to want to keep that one FCS game mm-hmm. if you expand this, right? And it allows you to play you know, play more of your backups, rest more of your starters, et cetera. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think there's some other stuff you could do, though, too, to this. I don't know if we want to get there yet, but, like, I, I have a few other ideas that I think – Add buys. Okay, mm-hmm. add buys. All right, um, hey, let's, let's, let's put a pin in that, all right? All right, yeah. Coming up on the other side – if the, if the rule change committee's getting together, why don't we offer some suggestions uh, while they're just here? You know, slide something across the table, see if we can make college football better, plus uh, some of your rule-related questions and more next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast again, the NCAA Football Rules Committee considering proposals, uh, all of which will include, for the most part, shortening games. Um, they include the keeping the clock running after a first down, except in the final two minutes of the half, uh, potentially even keeping the clock running after an incomplete pass at least once the official has spotted the ball, plus eliminating the icing of kicker, consecutive timeouts in a kicking situation, uh, as well as the untimed down after a defensive penalty at the end of a half. So, Bud, you said you had some some other ideas. So, let's hear it. Yeah, so what, one that I think would, would make the networks probably pretty happy and would shave off an additional seven plays per game, but also not tick off the fans, I think, is not showing the extra point or just allowing the extra point to be automatic, right? Think about it. Like, I know college kickers do crazy stuff. It's the most boring play in sports, especially when you kick it from where you kick it right now compared to, like, the NFL – which moved it back. All right. Extra point is automatic. It's kind of like in softball. If you hit the home run, you touch first base, you, you, you turn back, you go to the dugout. After a touchdown is scored and confirmed, you can either go right to commercial break and still kick the thing if you want. If they happen to miss it, show it when you come out of break. Cool, whatever. You know, it, you can leave it up to the network if you felt like it because if it's a really like crucial extra point late in the game, maybe they decide to stick around and show it. Maybe you run a, a commercial, you know, vertically, like look at us on the show right now. We could easily have you know, the extra point over Chip's head and just show Tom and I's beautiful faces, uh, you know, at, at, as commercials, right? CBS like, eye I, on the course. Yeah, like there, there are some plays in college football that you could eliminate or decide to run commercials over to keep the networks happy, not take away from the fan experience. And also the commercial break would feel shorter if you went to an automatic extra point. Right. It's less standing around and, and, and BS. And then maybe, hell, maybe we'll even tolerate a longer commercial break between scores if you didn't also run a commercial break after the kickoff. You know, and that, that, that makes games longer as well. Because so, so often we get touchdown, extra point, TV timeout, kickoff, TV timeout, next drive. Let's just go longer TV timeout after a touchdown. I don't care about seeing the extra point. And then we'll, we'll go right into the next drive post kickoff. I'm cool with side by side extra point, but I don't want to get rid of it altogether. Anyone want to guess what the extra point percentage was in college football last season? 89%. I bet you it's like in the 90s. But I don't know. I've seen, but you seen, you seen some important missed extra points. I have. I saw, I saw one in, 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 in the Superdome. Yeah. 97.9%. <laughs> See, it's pretty automatic, mm -hmm. right? Like it, it's it's really a chip shot. What about we get rid of some of these damn reviews? That would cut a lot of time out of the game <laughs> when you need to take five minutes to rule if it was targeting or not. 
when well, there's I, no way to know. What if we just say there's no such thing as targeting? What All right, so that was smoke? actually a question from Lanky. Why not review the targeting rules? Because they don't want to, because then they're going up back on their own idea that they're we care about player safety. So if you start going back on the rules that you've changed to care about player safety, you're backtracking, and they can't right. they can't afford to look that way. By the way, uh, yeah, I mean the, the, the targeting stuff's all, all all theater anyway, right? I really don't think it's changing player behavior uh, for the most no. part, except like you're you're creating other injuries. Um, this whole skipping the extra point thing is not unprecedented, by the way. Um, baseball used to make you throw all four pitches to do the intentional walk, and it was really boring. And it wasn't automatic, but it was pretty damn close to automatic. It's about ninety eight point three percent of the time you'd execute it right. Like you generally didn't throw a wild pitch. You didn't accidentally throw a strike or hit the guy. And it, it was just, it's not a fun experience, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody uh, misses it. Nobody misses it. Who's so missing? Tom, do you want to get rid of extra point? Uh, I don't want to get rid of it. No, but I don't, I, I think you could easily do it in a broadcast where you could just do a commercial while they're kicking it. And then, you know, if something happens, it's blocked, it's returned. Okay. You go back to a full screen and you watch the play and then there's replays. It's not that big of a deal. But I don't think – I spiritually, I don't want to get rid of it, although I do think mathematically you could. Or how about we get rid of the extra point as a option instead of just making it automatic? You got to go for two every time. Would you push it back like the NFL does? Would I what? Would you push back the extra point? <laughs> if I was going to keep it around – like yeah they, yeah it's just boring and it, it does take up time i mean that's an additional couple minutes on the broadcast got to get everybody out there got to get everyone lined up everybody you know set yeah um interesting kind of off the wall but tangentially re- related question from the live chat in uh from robert <laughs> when i initially uh started this i thought it was about rule changes and then i realized it's an incredibly personal uh question so i need you to consider this because this is really about our self-confidence if put into a Power 5 game, which do you feel the most confident that you could do? Number one, complete a pass of at least five yards. And again, this is in competition in a Power 5 game. Number two, carry the ball for at least one yard. Number three, catch a pass beyond the line of scrimmage. Or number four, kick an extra point, a PAT. Do I get to warm up? Oh, you can say throw? No, but do I get to no if it's if I get to warm up and get ready before the game, four, kick the extra point. I already know I could do that. If oh, I nice. don't get a chance to warm up, uh Danny's not here. I'll say completing a pass would be the easiest one of those other three options. My pass is getting batted down at the line of scrimmage, no doubt. Um catching a pass, I am I do not trust myself. No, I'm not that. getting open. Yeah. Um kick a PAT. Uh, I kind of feel like that one might get blocked as well. So as long as I can have uh two weeks in an ice bath or cryogenic chamber, give me the rock. I'll run for one yard and then get crushed. Yeah, I <laughs> I do think because for the most part, like yards or runs between one and three yards, as long as it's not like goal line situations or short yardage situations are primarily determined by what the line does. I think that's my number one choice, especially because if they saw me in there, like, okay, like that guy, they're not going to hand him the ball, right? Like he, he he's in there for pass pro. And then, you know, on, on a little draw or something, maybe, maybe you pop it. 
Number two is definitely catch the pass because they wouldn't cover me and I'd be wide open and I'm fairly <laughs> confident I can actually catch the ball. Uh, number three. But then you're getting tough. at high speed. Like that's the thing. Yeah. If you're wide open, then here comes here comes that's that heat-seeking weak-side linebacker. Yeah, if yeah. I'm covered by anybody, I am not getting open against any No, I'm not shaking. I'm not shaking anybody. Um, I really am not very good at kicking. I've, I've done some field goal stuff, like not in the game, but just screwing around on, on the field in various camps. That's a little harder than people think it is if you mm-hmm. if you didn't play like soccer or something. So I'm not going to pick that. Uh, putting a pass is not easy, but five yards doesn't say you have to throw it beyond the line of scrimmage, right? It just it has to go five yards. So maybe that's my three. All right. Love that question. Thank you for that, Robert. I think no, but Danny's not here. I think we can all agree playing quarterback is the easiest position in football because they can't touch you. You know, it's all about whether your offensive line gives you time, and then you could find in a wide open guy when you get twenty minutes to look for one. Come on. Yeah, I mean it's it it is the easiest if you have the physical tools. I'm just I've got enough you know confidence in myself to admit that my pass is getting batted down at the line of scrimmage. I really want to see Chip get a carry now. <laughs> I tell you what, <laughs> after playing golf with the guy on Monday. Uh, if, if the question was like, what do you want people doing? Like hit the drive, you know, approach chip or putt. I, I want Danny putting for me. That, that guy made three <laughs> Eagles and about 200 feet of putts in that tournament on Monday. That was uh that's Holy right. cow. Cause I mean, he's got all the time to practice because of the easy quarterback lifestyle, you know? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. It, if you want to be a great putter, be a backup quarterback in the NFL for like 15 years. <laughs> You know, a couple, couple years starting, got, got to boost the pension up and then be ready. Not too ready. Uh, let's let's go one more from uh, from the live chat. This one comes from Andrew. A little bit not rules related here. Uh, what is what is your favorite quarterback offensive coordinator combo for 2023? Maybe it's one that uh, is still going to be around. I guess Lincoln calls himself the offensive coordinator, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that I mean, you could say Lincoln and Caleb. Sure. You know, you could um, uh, you could point to uh, the Grub and Penix up at Washington. You know, you you maybe like one of the the newer uh, additions, one of the coaching change related moves. As of course, you've got um, you know little little Riley Garrett Garrett Riley showing up, and he's got Cade Klubnick at Clemson. Um, what's what what stands out? I mean, I think it's anytime you have a really experienced quarterback who the OC doesn't have to spend a ton of time with like fundamentals and basics of the offense, th- then they can get in the lab and cook on some really creative stuff. You probably just wouldn't, you wouldn't have time to rep in practice if you had to go over the basics all the time. And Chip just took most of my list. So, like that, I had off the top of my head. And that, those are really good ones. Like, I love the grub one. I mean, that's who Saban wanted, obviously, at Bama, you know, before they hired Tommy Reese. Um, I'll also throw in Alex Atkins and, and Jordan Travis. I mean, the guys, this will be his sixth year of college football, really athletic, and they just run so many – like, they run a lot of stuff. And it's it's as far as formations and little tags they have on stuff. And it, it they run a lot of stuff. I don't think you could run with an inexperienced guy. So I'm, I'll throw that one in there. Cade McNamara and Brian Ferentz. Oh, Yes! No, the no, real answer is best. Be- no, we didn't say best. We said favorite. That is a fair answer for favorite. I mean, I it'll be interesting to see. That is a hundred percent for sure. But I do think, yeah, Penix and, and Griffin Washington, Lincoln and Caleb. Uh God, who else? Ga- I will say, like Gabriel Levy 
is going to be year four together, I think, going back to their time at UCF. Mm-hmm. So I'll be interested to see what they cook up. Yeah. I mean, it's this is a hard question to answer. Barry Lunny and Luke Altmaier. Sark and Arch or Sark and you? Sark and oh God. Sarch. Sarch. <laughs> their, their Hollywood couple name is Sarch. So when Arch gets his first career start on in mid-October, we, we can all talk about Sarch as the uh, as our favorite QBOC combo. Jimbo and Petrino. That will be interesting. Then, yeah, it's. I mean, both of them, and then whoever A and M's quarterback is. Who is A and M's quarterback next year? I can't. Is it Wegman? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, you know, <laughs> the short round a- in the comment. <laughs> Gus mounts on in a cornerback. <laughs> <laughs> They they actually have a dude there that I'm pretty excited to watch. By the way, like there, um, and now I'm forgetting what, what the hell his name, the kid's name is. We had him at Elite Eleven in Orlando, and this is kind of some deep cut stuff, but it's you know late February, right? And he's a kid that like Georgia and Florida and Florida State wanted as a running back, so he's like that level of athlete. But he really was stuck on playing quarterback, and I don't think he's going to be an NFL quarterback. But in Justin, yes. Yeah. yeah, I will say like this kid legs wise has some real juice. So I think he's big 12 fans be ready to be annoyed. Uh, I, I I think like he, he really has something to him. A lot yeah, of he, third downs where your defense isn't coming off the field. Cause that kid just scrambled and made something happen. Well, yeah, it was like, we saw it because there was Mikey keen and street clothes. John rice Plumley knocked out of the game. And now all of a sudden here comes this, the uh, little, this is very much a uh, a Gus Malzahn quarterback for sure. Will Stein and Bo Nix will be interesting. I know we're mo- mostly focused on like um, existing OC QB combos, but that that'll be fun. So, all right, Will Stein, the new Oregon offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. after Dillingham left, and was that? I don't have it on top of my. Is that internal promotion? No, he, he was at what? UTSA, wasn't he? Ah, yeah. It's like the second year in a row UTSA has lost its offensive coordinator. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, uh, producer Jordan, Tanner Mordecai and Phil Longo. Definitely. That will definitely. I mean, Wisconsin's offense, period, is going to be very interesting to follow next year. Sean Lewis and Shadur Sanders. Lanky in the chat. Yeah. I'll be something. Milton and and, uh, Milton Hazel. Uh, Tennessee's ah, next year. Ah. Nobody cares about Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, coming up on the other side, we open up the big old bag of mail. We still got some live audience listener questions uh, to come, and please continue to drop them in the chat. And so remember that if you want to leave us a review, a five-star review, put your question in there. We can throw it in a future mailbag episode. So into the big old bag of mail. Next back here on the cover three podcast uh we appreciate everybody who is coming to hang out and a reminder that uh, we're going to be doing this throughout the off season mailbag episodes or even regular episodes that aren't mailbag episodes come and hang out with us live youtube.com slash cover three throw in a question we'll try to find a way to get it on into the show all right 
This next question comes from James. I'm in a college football fantasy league, and I'm hoping to finally hoist the championship trophy in 2023. Never too early to start prepping. Plus, to the detriment of my rivals, I'm the only one who subscribes and listens to the show. Well, James, change that, at least before the season starts. Like, get all the information you need now, finish your draft, and then, in thanks to us, get every one of them to subscribe to the show. James asks, what camp position battles should I keep an eye on throughout the offseason? Ohio State and Alabama are obvious, but what under-the-radar position battles could lead to late-round league winners? For example, is Texas Tech wide receiver room poised for a monster year? Seems like a perfect storm with Kitley in year two, an improved QB room, and new Big 12 league members. For your information, my league is Power 5 plus Notre Dame only. Thanks, James in Houston. And as I passed this along, I noted that it was a college fantasy question where they're looking at quarterback, wide, running back, wide receivers, and tight ends. But if you've got an offensive line battle that you think is really important or has been on your mind recently or anything on the defensive side of the ball, I figured we could address that here as well. So an under-the-radar position battle that has your attention this offseason. Uh, UCLA, quarterback. Mm-hmm. Right, so you, you bring in five-star Dante Moore, uh, who I think believes he will have the chance to start immediately, you also bring in Kent State transfer Colin Schley, who, when healthy, uh, was very productive for the Golden Flashes uh, last year. I, I'm confident UCLA will have uh, not a major drop-off in quarterback play from Dorian Thompson-Robinson, but I'm not particularly confident in naming the starter at this point. But th- that offense, I think, will hum. And that, if you're in a college fantasy league, is definitely one you need to watch. Yeah, I, I'm going to stick on the West Coast. Like If you look at Washington, they've got pretty much everybody back like Penix is back Dunze's back there's a lot of guys that are probably not I don't know how like he said he's the only one who listens to this show in his league so I don't know how deep their knowledge is on the Pac-12 considering nobody seems to care about the Pac-12 we do so I would very much I think yeah UCLA Washington if I'm you I'm probably drafting a whole lot of Pac-12 players this year who don't play for USC because you're going to get the same kind of production but you know not as you don't have to pay as high of a price for them uh, Texas Tech, Tyler Shuck, I assume is QB1, but I, I, I don't know if I should assume that. Uh, Baron Morton also is a guy I know that they like an awful lot. Shuck's been hurt. Morton also got dinged up a little bit. Whomever wins that job is going to put up a ton of yards and points. And from a fantasy football perspective, college-wise, that's one you definitely need uh, to be taking some shots at and to be monitoring closely, depending on when you draft. Another one, too, we just kind of talked about it a little bit. I The perception of Wisconsin with Longo and all them coming in and the quarterbacks is, you know, air raid, air raid, air raid. I think it's going to do wonders for Braylon Allen. I think Braylon Allen is going to have more room to roam than he's ever had. And he's already got the size, but he's quite fast, too, once he gets in the open field. So there's probably going to be more lanes for him than there have been in recent years for teams for just putting eight, nine guys in the box. I think he's poised to have a monster season. I have mentioned it on the show before, but it, tickled me deeply that Braylon Allen hopped on Twitter and said, shout out to not facing eight and nine man boxes. Yeah. <laughs> the it's man knows true. exactly what's coming. Uh, we lose Quentin Johnston. We lose Darius Davis. Obviously we lose Max Duggan. Uh, we assume Chandler Morris probably is going to be the starting quarterback, but the wide receiver battle um, at TCU, very interesting. 
you do have Savion Williams back for a senior season, I believe. Um, but you know, you've got some transfers coming in as well, and you've got a lot of, uh, a lot of reps that are open. So if you're looking for, especially I thought about them from the fantasy perspective, someone's going to emerge as the new alpha there. There are touches and there are receptions to go around that are going to lead to being able to go and win your league. So you mentioned James, Texas tech as a, as one that stood out to you. It is actually over in Fort worth where I was like, Hmm, that's under the radar because that's the loss of Darius Davis and Quentin Johnston certainly puts a lot up for grabs uh, among those TCU wide receivers and some interesting options, though, not one specifically where I'm ready to be like that is going to be the star. The Bama quarterback battle between uh, Ty Sampson and Jalen Milrow also will have implications for Bama's backfield in terms of carry share and for Bama's receivers, right? If you're betting on a bounce back for Bama's receivers, you probably want Ty Sampson to win the job because his athletic profile suggests that he will throw the ball, not necessarily better, but more frequently. If you look at the game in which Jalen Milrow played in full, I guess Texas A&M, he only had 111 passing yards. He's a really big dude who can has some real juice with his legs. My guess is that they would run him an awful lot, and that will also impact how many carries Bama's number one and number two backs get because if he's taking you know, 100-plus carries on the year, then that's carries that are not going to some of those Bama backs. And for college fantasy purposes, that's going to matter. It will also likely impact your touchdown share. So, uh, keep in mind that the winner of some of these quarterback battles stylistically also impacts other positions. What That's a, a really good point. The Having Tommy Reese as offensive coordinator has me thinking that's probably Ty Simpson. I think so, but they also were not afraid to run the quarterback in the latter half of last year. So I, I, I guess it just depends uh, on I, – I think it's Ty Simpson too. I'm not trying to just have fake debate on the show. I think that's one thing we do a nice job of avoiding. But I don't know that it's Ty Sampson. I, I think it is. Oh, he could certainly – he could play his way into not getting the job. Mm-hmm. That's one thing Like we always have to entertain that you know, these are not certainties. These are not robots. These are 18- to 22-year-old people. And if they stink, they're not going to get the QB1 job, especially at a place like Alabama. I think Jalen Milrow is probably your known quantity, and that's why he was trusted – to go take over for uh, Bryce Young last year, not Ty Simpson. But if you get Ty Simpson in there, you know what that leads to, bud? That leads to more uh, carries for your running backs as opposed to carries for your quarterback and probably more receptions for your wide receivers in that Alabama wide receiver room as when Milrow was in there, that was a, a run first, run second, run third, and throw the ball kind of offense, at least in terms in the Arkansas game and the Texas A&M game. So... Certainly notable there. What about at Ohio State? We didn't mention Ryan Day and Kyle McCord as a good OC quarterback combo, but uh, you got all the tools that you could ever imagine with uh, with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka back for yet another season. Yeah, don't you mean would, Brian Hartline as the offensive coordinator? Brian Hartline, that's right. I would I would have to assume Kyle McCord's probably going to put up numbers just as the Ohio State quarterback, and maybe in your draft because he's not C.J. Stroud, because he's not Justin Fields, and he doesn't have that kind of name recognition, you can get him at a pretty decent spot. So I would definitely, if I'm playing college fantasy, keep that in mind. But as far as other guys like Marvin Harrison's back, Emeka Buka's back, Trevion Henderson's back, but as for guys that aren't already starters who I think could emerge that you might want to make, I guess, I don't know. I don't play college fantasy. So do you have value picks that you stash on your bench? I don't know. But we saw flashes from Dallin Hayden last year. 
Trevion Henderson was banged up at times last season. He's a running back. There's a very good chance he's going to be banged up at some point again this season. Dallin Hayden is a guy who I think is very, very talented, could step in and have a big role. And also another freshman receiver because it's Ohio State, so they have to have a stud freshman receiver. Brandon Innes is somebody I would keep an eye on. Yeah, uh, Ennis is extremely polished. I mean, probably the most polished receiver in, in the class. Very competitive. A guy who dominated the seven-on-seven circuit for a long time. You know, as far as physical upside, I think he is not the biggest physical upside, but he's not a bad athlete. I mean, the guy's a damn good athlete. He just He's more college-ready than some other receivers. So I think that'll allow him to see the field, you know, early. I, I'm actually pretty interested in Georgia and specifically what the Mike Bobo move does mm-hmm. to this. So... I mean, you have Carson Beck, you have Brock Vandegrift, and then you also have Gunnar Stockton. I mean, all guys who had nice high school careers, who have multiple years now in the system. I I would not rule out Stockton at Georgia. If if I'm drafting early before spring practice starts, I'm probably taking some late shares of Gunnar Stockton uh, to see if if he can win that job. I I, I have a feeling that he'll have a, a pretty good chance there. And I don't want to undercut the um. Yeah, the good call, or at least like the insight there. But how much can you expect from a? I mean, how much can you expect from a Georgia quarterback in the Mike Bobo offense? This is fair. I mean, like Georgia is not a team that chucks it around a whole lot. Uh, so, you know, from a college fantasy perspective, although we did, he, he said his league was Power Five plus Notre Dame only. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like sixty. How many Power Five teams now with the addition 65 of sixty-five or sixty-five? It's got to be more than that because you have three, four new Big 12 teams. Oh, that's right. Oh, man. So we're so. 69 now? Nice. 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 Um, I mean, if I have 69 choices, nice. I'm probably not picking Georgia's quarterback for a college fantasy team. Although he's got, he probably will throw a number of touchdowns. They just that's the thing, the too. It's like, how, how deep is your league and how deep are your rosters? <laughs> I I would take the Georgia quarterback. I You just say the Georgia quarterback. I would not let the I would not let thirty quarterbacks go before I took the Georgia quarterback. I might I might have ten quarterbacks that I pick above them. I might have fifteen, but they're not going to turn the ball over. They probably are going to get a lot of touchdowns. Life is going to be somewhat easy. Excuse me, you are going to be put in advantageous positions to be successful. And so, yeah, I I think that it's a Gunner Stockton's an interesting call there. But if I were doing a fantasy stat stuffing perspective, I think that I would probably go get a team that's going to go eight and four and maybe has more reason to throw the dang ball in the fourth quarter rather than just running it out or riding the pine. Yeah, it, exactly. So like Craig Lawson in the chat says, Bobo coached Aaron Murray. Uh, TF, are y'all talking about? Here's what I am talking about. Where did Georgia rank last year in passing yards per game? Any idea? 83rd. Uh, uh, I probably should pull this up. I'm, I'm very close to to having it. All right. Georgia passing yards per game was 15th. All right. Not bad. You had a guy that, that made it to New York. Do we think they're going to throw the ball more or less with, with the new quarterback? I don't know. I mean, they, they seem to trust Stetson an awful lot. They also had to throw the ball more in certain games, like playoff games and SC championship games, and they do normally. So I think if you take out their throwing performance in the playoffs, right, if we can go game log here, exactly right. Against LSU, 275. Against Ohio State, 398. Against TCU, 335. 
their regular season average, which I assume this guy's college fantasy uh, team does not include playoff games because that would be weird. Uh, Georgia is probably more like 25th. So there's definitely more offenses I'd rather have quarterbacks from than Georgia for college fantasy purposes. Yeah, and, and again, I'm going to say that part of me saying I want to take a 7-5 and five quarterback is just the principle that – you are going to have more positions where you are throwing the ball for an entire 25% of the game, the fourth quarter, and you are going to be in the game trying to help your team win as opposed to potentially being on the bench or handing the ball off. I just I just think there's going to be more looks because as we have talked about, from the moment that Georgia was up half a billion in the national championship game, we were already looking at the 2023 schedule and talking about a three-peat. We had not even dropped confetti in that big spaceship called SoFi Stadium, and everybody was already talking about a three-peat. So I I think that the competitiveness of Georgia's season, which I say out of respect to Georgia's roster and what Kirby Smart has built, is not going to lead to very competitive games and therefore less opportunities to uh, to light it up through the air. And their schedule this year is a joke, right? I mean, like it, it is far easier than schedules they've had in the past. There's no Clemson to open the year in the non-conference like they had two years ago. It's, it's just... It's a cakewalk. So there's also a pretty good chance because none of these guys are proven that Georgia plays multiple guys in the early game. So you're not you're not getting great individual quarterback numbers there. All right, one uh, one last one before we get out of here. Uh, this is this is you know if you if you hang with us for a while, you know about the Lindsey Buckingham questions. This is definitely a Lindsey Buckingham question from Logan. I love the pod. Listening since the Barton days. Do any of you play NCAA football? What are you looking forward to the most about its return and who should be on the cover? Yeah, I played it. When does it, when, like, it's not coming out this year, it'll be coming out next year, correct? Correct. So for now, I would say Caleb Williams, just because he won the Heisman, he would be the most likely to be on the cover. But who wins the Heisman next year? I don't know. Maybe it's Caleb Williams again. Um, what am I most looking forward to about the game? Playing it. <laughs> I transfer portal. Yeah, I, I, I think will be will be pretty interesting. How, how do they incorporate the transfer portal? Like, what kind of promises do you have to make to your own kids, and then you know, try to try to tamper with kids on on other rosters? And I, I just think all, all the new stuff in, in the sport will be will be pretty interesting. Um, how much are these schools going to let EA put in there as far as oh, not, reality? Yeah, no, there's like it's. I'm guessing the big addition will be the transfer portal. And they had transfers in the later versions of the game where all of a sudden it would just show up at the end of the season. Be like, this guy wants to transfer to your team. You're Kent State and you just came, you know, in your second season, but this five-star from Alabama suddenly wants to play for you. So, yeah, um, I think we'll probably see the transfer portal. I don't think we'll have NIL or any of that kind of stuff in there. I think we'll have the playoff. I think, I think we could have the players. I think they could. I mean, they could get together a licensing agreement. That is an yeah. NIL deal. Like, no, I, no, I I expect there yeah. to be players or and at least rosters. Players. I don't think it's going to be Ron Player. I think that we're going to have some some name, image, and likeness of the yeah. current teams. But even if they don't, it's not like there won't be somebody who does, and we can just download the rosters like you do in every other game right now. I mean, right now you could play NCAA fourteen and download the current rosters. It's not it, that exists. I look forward to throwing the ball to the tight end, running the ball 75% of the time, 
<laughs> and just keeping it, just just grinding teams out, winning a lot of these 21-17 games that we talked about with my three-minute and four and or five-minute quarters, just building up the dynasty one W at a time. You only play five-minute quarters, bud? What do you play? Uh, seven. I'm, I'm at six. Okay. I'm what, trying to get what, what, what level of difficulty were you playing on? Uh, All American, the third yeah. one up, not Heisman, but the next Heisman. one below Heisman. Heisman yeah. was so hard, right? Also, I I played seven minute quarters pre having two kids, so I don't really know that I would continue to play seven minute quarters. I might play five minute quarters. The um, other issue with my because again, NCAA 14 was the last one to come out. Uh, I had it on Xbox 360. And the current state of my Xbox 360 is you can only play one game before the thing just starts like smoking. It, it sounds like a jet engine when you fire it up. And then at some point it just like shuts down. So just always save your work. You, you got to get You got to fire it up, play a game. It shuts off, fire it up, do all your recruiting. It shuts off, fire it up, play a game and just sort of repeat that cycle to work your way through the season as Pip Chatterson, the second prepares to move from uh, Washington to LSU. Also, will we be in the game? Because like NBA 2K and those other franchises, they have people like, you know, they have like the Twitter social media thing where they have like fake, you know, NBA journalists like tweeting about players. They're going to do that for us? Cause I think they should. I think they should. And I think that we should get a cut of the sales. Oh, yeah. I'm more than have been. I've done voice work. I'm ready to do it, ready to go. I'm trying to trying to get a little independent contractor money. I'm not afraid to claim that on my taxes. Proud to. So, I'm gonna have to buy a PS5. Uh, I don't. Were they only? I've got a PS4. I'm assuming that they'll still put it out on PS4. I don't know, but maybe it's got to be PS5 or. Mm, I, I am PS, very much I had a PS3. To it, though I don't. 100%. I didn't get the four. Um. Um. Yeah, it's gonna be so much fun, dude. What's the what what's the best NCAA? Do you have any uh, strong opinion on that one? I know the I bad one. There was one where they flipped up the controls. Oh yeah, what year was that? 06. Yeah. A little bit. It was like last year of high school, right? Sure, yeah. That was definitely yeah. still in high school in 06. What, what team did you always play with to make it like a crazy dynasty? What um <laughs> Georgia State was a popular one. I did UMass a couple times. I mean, I would generally just pick the worst team and go from there. I really like Colorado's uniforms with like like the the all the way pulled up uh, white socks with with the all black and and, and the gold <laughs> yep. helmets. Like yep. just from that looked pretty dope. And they ran all over Nebraska that one year. Who did that? It screwed somebody out of a BCS game. I remember they, like they they just it was. Remember the backs in that team. Well, this is obscure, but like they was it Chris Brown and somebody? That's yeah, not right. It was, um, was after Shal- Rashawn Salam. It was uh, definitely after Shalom. Yeah, Chris Brown, Colorado, and I remember just Nebraska just could not stop them. Um, it was on a Black Friday, right? Yeah. So he's forty-one. I remember Chris Brown being big. I was right. Six three, two thirty-five mm-hmm. is. Uh, he's from Naperville, Tom. Hell yeah, it's my guy, Chris. Look at that. Um. Third round draft pick. So that would have been in, I don't know, probably 01 or 02. That a Big 12 offensive Yeah, I was still in high 02. school then. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember like in college, I would play as Colorado because like I had just seen that as my senior year of high school. Start at ECU. Nice. 
I mean, just come on. Let's go, Pirates. Got to start at ECU and then just sort of see where it goes from there. Uh, always fun stuff. Again, if you would like to leave us a mailbag question, you can come and join us live at youtube.com slash cover three, or you can go and leave us a five-star review. And in that review, put your mailbag question. We'll add it to the big old bag of mail. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See you.